Chad and Jay Mansbridge here, lead pastors of Bayside Church International, based here on the south coast of South Australia. Our great passion as a church is to help people to know Jesus and to demonstrate His love, truth and life in everything that we do. We hope you enjoy today's message. Well, very good morning. If you don't know me, my name's Chad. I do recognise some faces here and names here today. There are some faces and names I don't quite recognise. It's great to have you in our home. We're privileged to have you join us. For those of you watching from home or in caravan parks or on the road, uh, wherever you are this morning in our online community, uh, some of you overseas, it's great to have you join with us. And remember, take us up on our invitation, as I mentioned at the start of the service, online service today. Uh, if Bayside is your primary church home and you've come, uh, maybe you've come to join our community over the last six months since we've been streaming uh, or possibly you have been part of our community uh, online, uh, here in person but now almost exclusively online. We'd love to hear from you and uh, we'll get Mal to contact you and, and say g'day. So please fill out uh, those details as I said. You can email us at info at baysidechurch.org.au or contact us on message on Facebook. We'd love to hear from you. We see your names occasionally. We see the occasional love heart, but it'd be great to touch base with you one-on-one. So a big shout out to our online community as well this morning. I do have the privilege of sharing today. I'm going to be reading, and I just want to start by reading scripture. I spoke to a bunch, as you know, Filipino pastors this week. That podcast is on my uh, personal podcast already, but I was just encouraging them every time they preach to make sure they read Scripture aloud. And it's one of the great principles of good, solid Bible preaching and teaching to actually start by, well, not necessarily start, but certainly by reading the Scripture. Some preachers start with a joke, some with an anecdote from their children's lives, whether they have permission to or not. Uh, I, I prefer to start with the Scripture And uh, today I want to read from Hebrews and uh, chapter 1, just the opening 12 verses. I'll be reading from a translation known as the Passion uh, Translation. It's um, a relatively new uh, edition. Many of you have been buying the books as they've been come out, the New Testament books as as time has gone on. Uh, I bought our whole leadership group for Christmas a couple of years ago, uh, the whole New Testament Psalms and Proverbs. So it does make a good Christmas gift if you're looking to buy someone a Christmas present this year, maybe a Bible. It is a good translation. There's uh, those who don't like it uh, on the basis that one of the things a translator does is he often draws on the Aramaic text. And so in the Greek world in the first century, okay, our scriptures were written in the Greek language, but all of the speaking was done in Aramaic, possibly Hebrew, but certainly the Aramaic language. And so what this translator does is he, yes, he takes from the Greek, but occasionally he'll draw more on the Aramaic of what they would have said with their mouth rather than what they penned with their pen. And so some people don't quite like that, but it is one of the nuances of this translation. It's, as I often encourage, it is good as you, we develop our understanding of the scripture to draw on multiple English versions, okay, because any complex, any translation work of a complex work of another language involves, uh, is very detailed, involves a lot of complexities, and the scripture does have a complex message, and so drawing on different translations as translators, try to find the best word and phrase that suits best is really a healthy thing to do, and so certainly from time to time, uh, it's good to get, get yourself a new Bible to read from, I do believe in having a, an old faithful sword, a Bible that you know really well, but uh, something my dad taught me growing up is it's always good to have a, 
a newer, fresher version ready to go. And when, when I was growing up, my dad had The Message by Eugene Peterson. Some of you would be familiar with that. Well, to me at the moment, uh, The Passion Translation by Brian Simmons is my kind of fresh uh, translation. So, and I've met Brian. He's a great guy. Anyway, am I rambling? Hebrews chapter 1. Thank you, darling. I was giving people time to find the book of Hebrews, yeah. Throughout our history, God has spoken to our ancestors by his prophets in many different ways. The revelation that he gave to them was only a fragment at a time, building one truth upon another, upon another, upon another. But to us living in these last days, God now speaks to us openly in the language of a son, the appointed heir of everything. For through him, God created the panorama of all things and of all time. The son is the dazzling radiance of God's splendor. The son is the exact expression of God's true nature. He is, in fact, his mirror image. He holds the universe together. He expands it by the mighty power of his spoken word. And he accomplished for us the complete cleansing of sin. And then he took his seat on the highest throne at the right hand of the majestic one. In fact, he is infinitely greater than angels. For he inherited a rank and a name far greater than any of them. For God has never said to any angel what he has said to his son, Jesus, you are my favored son. Today, I have fathered you. And this, he said, I will be father to him and he will be son to me. And again, when he brought his son into the world, he said, let all my angels bow down and worship him. Let them kiss him in worship. Now about his angels, he says, I make my angels swift winds. They're ministers that are like fiery frames. But about his son, he called him God, saying, your throne, O God, endures forever and ever, and you rule your kingdom with justice and righteousness. For you have cherished righteousness, my son. You have detested lawlessness. For this reason, God, your God, has anointed you. He has poured out the oil of bliss on you more than any of your other friends. And in fact, he called him Lord, saying, Lord, you formed the earth in the beginning, and with your own hands, you created the cosmos. They, one day, will both disappear, but you will remain forever. These things will all fade out, like a garment. They'll be changed like a pair of clothes. But you will fold them up and put them away. But you are different to that. You, Jesus, are I am. You never change. Years without end. Today, kind of, I want to bring our spring preaching series to a close. We've been looking at great heroes of the scripture. We've made the point that heroes 
come in all shapes and sizes. Jay introduced it to us by looking at Ephesians chapter 1, the whole issue there of identity. I had the great privilege of speaking of David tackling Goliath, Noah with my felt board up here in front, and then Esther a couple of weeks ago, the great heroine of the Old Testament pages. Rob and Leanne took us to Second Kings and looked at characters like Elisha and the four leopards. Malcolm took us back to Genesis to look at Jacob. Rachel showed us King Solomon. And last week, Jeff brought us men such as Arichicus, Anicus, Tychicus, and Onesimus, some of the lesser-known heroes of the New Testament, companions of Paul in his apostolic journeys. And today, I want to bring the series to an almost close, although next week, I am going to sort of segue into something. I've got a very special interview planned next week with a uh, a hero in our community and some in an industry that some of you are part of. It's going to be very special if you can be here next week. That's all I basically want to say. But of all the qualities that distinguish or define or determine a hero, we've seen courage, we've seen integrity, we've seen wisdom, we've seen faithfulness, we've seen service and humility and honesty and justice and compassion and longevity. Of all the qualities that define what a hero is, today I, I kind of just want to leave you with one word. I want to speak about the great hero of all heroes who is perfectly faithful. I want to speak today about Jesus, the perfectly faithful one. As we've just read here in verse 10, he says, Lord, you formed the earth in the beginning with your own hands, you created the cosmos, they one day will disappear. But you, Jesus, on the other hand, you won't disappear. You will remain forever. You'll remain forever. They will fade like a well-worn garment, verse 12. They will be changed like clothes. You'll fold them up and put them away. But you are I am. You never change. You never change. This is chapter 1 of Hebrews in the closing chapter he makes a very similar point where he says in verse chapter 13 verse 8 he says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday today and forever into the future he is the same he remains unchanged his years do not know any end and you see this is one of the great attributes that distinguishes one of them that distinguishes our god from everything Often we've, you know, you, we grow, grow up in a, in a sense maybe with a, a pyramid view, a sort of an evolutionary ladder type of perspective of things that exist. And down the bottom we have the amoebas and single-celled organisms, okay, in the deepest oceans. And, and then we sort of come up in different types of creatures and four legs and two legs and fish and birds and they're all kind of in there. And then there you've got humans and then above humans maybe you've got Dolphins, who, who are we kidding? And then, and then above dolphins you have angels and there's somewhere above angels you have God and yet that whole thing is a bunch of nonsense because God does not exist on that pyramid. God is separate to all created things. He stands in a realm of his own, the uncreated one. And all created things have this in common. They have a beginning and they have an ending. And therefore, they are all subject to change, to the turning tides of, of, of time and the winds of change. They are susceptible to adjusting. They are susceptible to changing because they are susceptible to the, the, the progress or the deep regress of time. But God stands outside of that as the eternal one 
uncreated, no beginning, no end, infinite God, totally different to anything you have ever seen, to anything that is unseen in the unseen realm, for all those are created as well. God exists in a sphere beyond anything else. There is none like him. He is the uncreated one. And because he is the uncreated one, he is not susceptible to change, which is great news for you and I. Because when God reveals himself as love, that means he has always been love. He will always be love into the future. He is faithful to that attribute. When the scripture says that God is just, he has always been just. Today he is just and he will always be just into the future. When the scripture says that God is strong, he's always been strong and he always will be strong. When the scripture says God is able to save, he's been able to save in the past and he is well able to do it today and into the future. And when the scripture says that God is faithful, that God does not change. The one who is faithful in the past is the God God who is faithful today and he's the God that will be faithful tomorrow because he does not change. He is not, does not succumb to time and the ever-changing nature of the created cosmos. He is fully outside of that reality. And that's why, one of the reasons why the scripture is full of declarations of God's faithfulness, faithfulness, full of reliability, full of faith. Lamentations, one of the famous ones, the whole book of Lamentations. We read it just recently in my Bible reading plan at one of the most devastating times of ancient Israel's history. It's a whole book designed to lament when the poo hits the fan. Okay, that's the whole idea. It's songs of sorrow and songs of lament. And yet somewhere in there in chapter 3 verse 22, this incredible passage is inserted. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. For they are new every morning. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O God. Great is your faithfulness. Great is his faithfulness. This starts all the way back in the Torah, the books of Moses, when God encounters Moses at Mount Sinai. And God says, listen, I'm going to reveal myself to you and let my name be known to you. And he says in Exodus 34, 6, the Lord passed in front of Moses calling out, Yahweh, I am the Lord the God of compassion and mercy, I'm slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. Numbers 23, later in his life, Moses spends this, God is not a man, so he does not lie. How many of you have been lied to by a man before? Lied to by a woman before, that's not gender specific. Humans have the capacity to lie, it says that God is not a man that he should not lie, Numbers 23.9. He is not human, so he does not change his mind. He has ever spoken and failed to act, has he ever promised and not carried it through? Deuteronomy, he says in chapter 7, verse 9, understand that the Lord your God is indeed God. He is the faithful God who keeps his covenant for a thousand generations and lavishes his unfailing love, unfailing love on those who love him and obey his commands. In chapter 32, he says, he is the rock all his works are perfect and all his ways are just 
Deuteronomy 32.4. He is a faithful God who does no wrong. Upright and just is he. He is a faithful God who does no wrong. Upright and just is he. David personalizes this in Psalm chapter 31 where he says, For you are my rock and my fortress. For your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net they've hidden for me. You are my refuge. Into your hands I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. Faithful God. Faithful God. How many of you have got a friend who uses this refrain when they pray? You pray with your friend and they say, faithful God, faithful God. That's once David penned that for himself. He says in Psalm 33, 4, the word of the Lord is upright. All his work is done in faithfulness. Isaiah says, 25 verse 1, Lord, you are my God. I will exalt and praise your name for in perfect faithfulness you have done marvellous things, things of long ago. For in perfect faithfulness you have done wonderful things. There's so many verses I could read on this subject. But one of the reasons I consider Jesus to be my greatest hero is because he is the perfectly faithful one. Jesus is the perfectly faithful one. And this morning, what I want to do is turn the page in Hebrews. I want to read from chapter 3, a passage there, chapter verse 1 through to 6, and look at three qualities of who Jesus is, how the book of Hebrews particularly reveals him to be, and three areas that he has proven himself to be perfectly faithful. He's proven himself in the past. He is still that today. And he will forever be faithful in these three areas. How many of you can take a guess at what these three things might symbolize. Well-known Jewish words, Old Testament offices of ministry. Here we go. In the Old Testament, there are three significant ministry gifts that God gives, gave to his people. Prophet, priest, and king. Prophet, priest and king and in this passage in Hebrews and it was just inferred in what we've just read in the opening chapter the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus has been perfectly faithful in these offices he talks about him being a perfectly faithful apostle the perfectly faithful high priest and the perfectly faithful son who sits on the royal throne my encouragement to you today is this Jesus is perfectly faithful as a messenger of God Jesus has been perfectly faithful as a minister of God. And Jesus is perfectly faithful as the master of the house of God. Jesus is perfectly faithful in revelation, in revealing God to us. Jesus is perfectly faithful in reconciling us to God. And Jesus is perfectly faithful in ruling and reigning over every dark thing in our life. Jesus is the faithful prophet, priest and king. He is apostle, priest and son. And I want to have a look at that today. Three things in Hebrews 3. Are you ready? Find Hebrews 3. If you have your Bible on the screen, NIV, here we go. Therefore, <clears throat> holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Esther and Noah and David and the lepers and Elisha and Jacob and Solomon. Fine, do that because they're good examples for you. But ultimately, set your thoughts on Jesus. Not your faith in faith, but your focus on the faithful one 
Fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and our high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful, by the way, in all of God's house. But Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than even Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. Is that right, Dan? Danny, yeah, that builder of a house gets the greatest honor. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses, as you know, was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken of God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the Son over God's house. And that house, by the way, is you and me. As indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. Verse 1 again. Fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge, number one, as the perfectly faithful apostle that we confess. It's interesting. The word apostle in the Greek is apostolos. That's pretty straightforward. And it's used about 70-odd times, mostly in the Gospels and the book of Acts, about Jesus' followers. Okay, He sort of anointed them to be apostles. And it's not really, really a word that you see in the Old Testament, partly because the Old Testament wasn't written in Greek. But um, the basic idea of an apostle is that they are sent and commissioned with authority to be a messenger. Okay, That's what an apostle is. It's, there's two different words in the Greek in the, in the New Testament for sending someone. One is apostle and the other is pempo. Pempo. Now, when you, when you, sit, when you give your kid three bucks later on and say, hey, go, go to the... Uh, go and buy me a coffee, you know, you are pimpoing them. You're sending them to go do a task, okay? But when, you, <laughs> but when you give your son, okay, access to the checkbook of the house and so go buy that business, go buy that real estate, go do that business deal, you're not pimpoing him, you are apostling him because when he comes with that signature book, it's as if the father himself was speaking, Okay, so there's this, uh, it draws on a Jewish, Jewish tradition, it became a legal tradition of a man who represented a master, or a man who represented like an emissary or an ambassador. If you speak to me, it's as good as you speaking to the master. And this, incidentally, is the only verse in the New Testament that calls Jesus our apostle. I haven't quite worked this out, and I was starting to mull on this this week, but the Gospels spent a lot of time talking about Jesus as prophet. Prophet, 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 prophet. Everyone acknowledges him as prophet. The epistles don't call him prophet. They infer it, but they don't actually say it. But this epistle says he is an apostle. Anyway, the point is, you can work that out later. The point is, the point is, he is God's messenger. He is God's messenger, and he has come to represent God, to speak perfectly on behalf of the invisible one. He is the one that has has the other prophets in the past have brought incremental revelations, glimpses of who God is. And Jesus has come with a perfect message and a perfect manifestation of who God really is in human form. Jesus is God's messenger and he has been faithful to that calling. And as we here at Bayside often like to say, you know, if you were to say, what is Jesus' message? What message did he bring? 
What was the message that Jesus brought? And many people have different ways to explain it. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, you know, for God so loved the word, he gave his only son, whatever. There's many different types of ideas about how we encapsulate that. But the way I like to say it is this. Jesus came with a message from God that declared and decreed and demonstrated and displayed God's love, truth and life. Love, truth and life. Every miracle Jesus performed was a manifestation of the love of God. The life of God coming to Lazarus. The truth of God breaking off lies and darkness. Every word he spoke was a demonstration of God's love, even when it was a rebuke. He spoke truth and he brought life with his words. He said, my words are spirit and life. Every controversy he stirred, because Jesus is Jehovah stirrer, you know, a bit of a stirrer, Jesus. He you know, had, a, had a go at the political class and the religious class, but as he did that, he spoke words of love. He spoke words of truth and he spoke words that ultimately were there to shake the darkness, to drain the swamp and to bring life into a place that so desperately needed it. Every action Jesus performed was done in a motive of love, bringing truth and life and Jesus was perfectly faithful in that calling. The perfectly faithful apostle who was sent from the Father, sent to earth and fulfilled his task. So at the end, just before he died, he could say in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, I've faithfully revealed you to people. I've done the job as the apostle that you've called me to do. I've made you known to people. He had a ministry of revelation. And that is a ministry he gives us also. Because he says there in John 17, he says, as you have apostled me, so I apostle them. As you have commissioned me, so I commission them to be representatives and spokespeople of the invisible God. That is one of our great callings in life, my friends, as we follow Jesus to become messengers of the true nature and character of God. When you think of what God is like, if you don't know God today, maybe you've got mixed ideas. In fact, let me just say, every one of us in this room have mixed ideas about who God is. Every one of us in this room have imperfect imperfect views of who God is. And so we're all growing in this journey. But when you want to know what God is like, Look at Jesus. Jesus. Someone once said, Jesus is what I think of when I think about God. Jesus is who, what I think of when I think about God. And Jesus is who God thinks of when he thinks about me. Jesus is who God I think of I think about God <laughs> and Jesus is who God thinks about when he thinks about me because he's not only the apostle called to represent God to man he's also number two my high priest who is called to represent me before a holy God that is the second quality attribute we see here in Jesus he's not only the perfectly faithful apostle the messenger who reveals God he's the perfectly faithful priest who faithfully reconciles verse 1 again it says those who share in the heavenly calling fix your thoughts on jesus who we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest the idea of a high priest is a bit unusual to us because we haven't grown up in this culture okay and when you and i think of a priest you think of probably the catholic church or something like that this is not written to us this letter was written two thousand years ago to a jewish community who 
were entrenched in temple worship based on the Old Testament. And so they knew very well what a high priest was. That image was at the forefront of their mind. And this letter, incidentally to the Hebrews, around about half of it is taken up with this image. It does say quite a lot about Jesus being a messenger of God, an apostle as it were, but half of the letter is taken up with this aspect, Jesus being our high priest. Difficult possibly for you and I to grasp unless we really train ourselves in Old Testament thinking, but very, very pertinent to the people to whom it was written for. And one of the things that this book tells us over and over again, makes very clear, is that everything that was written in the Old Testament about priesting is a shadow of which Jesus is the substance. This behind me here on the platform is my shadow. It's not me. If I said, come give me a hug, which we don't do because of physical distancing, but if I said, come give me a hug, it's no point trying to hug that thing down there on the floor. It's not me. But the idea of that shadow is that it points to the substance. You follow the shadow and it'll take you to the real thing. And the real thing's way better than that. <laughs> and this is like the Old Testament. It's a shadow pointing to the substance. A shadow pointing to the reality. In fact, one of the words, interestingly, in the book of Leviticus, about all the festivals and stuff that happen in the Old Testament, the bits that are really hard to read, is that one of the words there is holy. These are holy convocations. Okay, fancy word. And one of the possible nuances of the word convocation is they are dress rehearsals. It's a dress rehearsal to the main show. Okay, so the whole Old Testament is like this practicing dress rehearsal. Jono and others that have been part of musicals, you practice, you rehearse, you practice, you rehearse. We're getting ready for opening night and bam, there it is. On comes Jesus. The whole Old Testament is a build-up to the great reveal of who Jesus is. And so while it's very difficult to read books like Leviticus and Numbers and a lot of that blood and guts and gore stuff, somehow it all points to Jesus. It all points to the perfect substance of who Jesus is. And this is what the author's drawing on here when he talks about the high priest. There are essentially two things that the high priest was responsible for. And the first was this thing of reconciling people to God. Reconciling sinful people to a holy, pure God so they would be seen to be right in his eyes. And this could be done on a daily basis where sinners would come and, and say, listen, I've stuffed up this week, here's an animal and please make it up for me and they'd give it to the priest. Okay? Or on an annual basis, on the day of atonement. And that's what the book of Hebrews really focuses on, the day of atonement. And it's a really complex type of day, the whole thing, the whole way that things works. But basically there was one priest, a high priest, who once a year could go right into God's intimate presence in this tent, okay? And he went in there three times, he did incense the first time, then he took his own sin offering the second time, and then the third time he'd take the blood of a goat, okay? Really, really sort of gory stuff, he'd slit. He'd basically, they'd have two goats, okay? And this is listen, they'd have two goats and they'd cast lots, they'd have a black dice and a white dice and, or a, re, a right hand and a left hand, tradition kind of changed over the time and one of those goats would be designated as a scapegoat. Okay, this is, so we, this is relevant to our culture, scapegoat. The other one was designated to die, that was to the Lord and so they'd slit that one's throat, he'd take that into the, into the place and then he'd come out and he'd lay hands on the scapegoat and said, all right, 
send you away into the wilderness. And it's basically a way of saying all the sin of the people is laid on this goat. I, I basically curse, take all the sin of our nation and put it on this one animal, okay, who takes the sin out of the camp. And it's this really weird thing. Over history, they developed these other traditions, like they'd have this, um, when they had the scapegoat, they'd have a red rag around it that they'd tie on it, okay? And then what they do is when they sent it away, they would take that red rag and they would hang it up on the temple door. And apparently, Jewish tradition tells us, there's this, there are these books called the Talmud. Anyone heard of them? It's like Jewish uh, history books, okay? And for a couple of hundred years, these, apparently, this red thread would turn white overnight. It was like the sign of when that goat actually eventually died. It was red and then it turned white miraculously. This is sort of Jewish history. Except for in the year 30 and the year 31 and the year 32, the Jewish Talmud tells us that this tradition where this red thing of the goat turned white stopped happening for 40 years up to the point that the temple was destroyed. For 40 years, two separate Talmuds tell us this, that this miracle stopped happening. For 40 years. Also, the other thing they say that happened is that for 40 years, they'd, they'd cast lots, a red, a black stone and a white stone. And for 40 years in a row, the black stone always came up. Now, I don't know how many mathematicians are here, but that's pretty darn unlikely. And, it's this, and this is in Jewish history. After Jesus came as that sacrifice, that whole system, God was done with it. God no longer endorsing that system. And this is one of the messages we see through the book of Hebrews. There was a complex system that took place and the, and the whole idea of Hebrews is a little bit complex as well because Jesus is both the lamb and the scapegoat and the priest and the curtain and the temple and the... Okay, he's everything, right, in this picture. So it's a little bit hard, but here's the point. Jesus is faithful to do all that was required to reconcile us to a holy God. That's the point, okay? The point is, amongst all the complexity, without demonstrating what goes on, I don't have goats outside waiting for us. I'm not going to do that, okay? Uh, the point is, Jesus was perfectly faithful and superior in that role. And it might be hard for you and I to kind of appreciate that because we haven't grown up in that culture, but for these people hearing it at the time, it was really important. That's the point. Jesus has done all that is required to reconcile us to God for all time. Once and for all. And so he goes on to say in the Hebrew, and then remember that chapter 4 to chapter 10 is all about this. In chapter 7, he says this, verse 27 Unlike the former high priests, Jesus is not compelled to offer daily sacrifices. They had to bring a sacrifice first for their own sins, then for the sins of the people. No, 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 no. Jesus finished that sacrificial system once and for all when he offered himself. Reconciling. Those who would put their faith in that priest and in that covenant blood. You know, in the book of Leviticus, when it talks about a sinner coming and having their sin atoned for, it never talks about the condition of their heart. It doesn't say the sinner has to come and be this sorry for what is done. No, no, no. All he has to do is make sure that the priest does his job. Bring an offering... But your atonement is based on whether the priest does his job properly or not. Folks, with us, our relationship and reconciliation with God is not based on how well you've repented 
on how many sins you've thought of or haven't thought of. <gasps> what if I've forgotten one? What, if I, what, if, what about sins of omission? What if I haven't done? What if I haven't confessed enough? No, our faith is based in the high priest who does the perfect performance for us. So my hope is not built on my ability to confess. My hope is not built on my ability to repent hard enough to make God right with me. My, my, my hope is not built on that. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness, his faithfulness. I dare not trust the sweetest of frame. I wholly lean on Jesus, my high priest, who's done the work perfectly. And so as we have communion today, and as Paul says, look, examine yourself. Examine yourself. That is not an introspective thing. Am I holy enough today? Have I done enough today? Have I been good enough today? Have I confessed all my sins today? That's not what we do in communion. I examine myself in the light of the fact that my high priest has done what's required on my behalf. Like those in Passover, I examine myself and realize, do you know what? I'm in the house, but as long as I've got the blood on the outside, she'll be right, mate. I'm okay. My priest will look after that for me. That's how I examine myself. I examine myself in light of what Jesus' perfect faithfulness has done for me. And so my hope is not built on anything that I do, but on his perfect ability to reconcile me, wipe my sins away perfectly once for all time. No more sacrifice in the future is left because Jesus has taken care of it once for all. The priest did that for the people. He performed that service. And secondly, ongoingly, he would pray for the people. And so we see the high priest wear a vest, and he's got all these stones on it. Jay would have loved it, right? Twelve different colored stones. It's like a rainbow, darling. And he wear 12 different stones. And all those stones, as he went, went into God's presence, you know, he went in there, it was his way of saying, I'm carrying the people on my heart. I'm praying for the people. When he came out, he would pray for the people, and he'd say, The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. He'd bless the people like this. And this is an ongoing responsibility to pray for the people. This is exactly what Jesus does for us perfectly. Verse 25 of chapter 7, the same chapter we just saw before. He is able to save fully. 7 verse 25. He is able to save fully from now throughout all eternity. Everyone who comes to God through him. Because he lives to pray continually for them. We don't serve a dead high priest that's done his job and then nicked off. No, we serve a high priest who lives forever. As you read Hebrews this week, you'll find that. Lives forever. And so he lives to ever pray continually for us. Why get Mother Mary to pray for you when Jesus is doing it? Why get any saint, any dead saint, to pray for you when Jesus is praying continually for you. He is the perfectly faithful high priest. And this is why even when you don't have the energy to pray, even where at times you don't know what to pray, Romans 8 talks about the Holy Spirit kicking in with groanings that we cannot express, but also know that Jesus himself never grows weary of standing in the gap for you because he's not only the perfect messenger that from God to man, he's also the perfect minister that comes to minister God's blessing to us and to minister for us on behalf of God so we can access his throne room of grace and find mercy and help in our time of need. He is a perfectly faithful high priest. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Last thing.
Perfectly faithful apostle. Perfectly faithful priest. He's also the perfectly faithful son. Prophet, priest, and king. It says in verse, verse 5, our key passage today, compares how Moses, chapter 3, verse 5, Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness of what Jesus would do in the future. Moses was a shadow. Look at Moses. There he is. Moses is down there. He's awesome, but he's pointing to the real deal. He was pointing to Jesus, who's not just a faithful servant. He's not just a faithful speaker. He's not just a faithful servant. He's not just a faithful messenger. He's not just a faithful minister. He's a faithful son. He is a faithful master. And as son, he is heir to the royal throne. He is faithful as a king over God's house. The Living Bible for this verse says, Christ, God's faithful son, is in complete charge of God's house. Christ is a complete charge. You know, one of the reasons that this whole COVID thing, whatever, this year, we've done pretty well through it, or at least I've done pretty well through it as a, as a pastor, I'll just speak for me. Oh yeah, I've done pretty well finally, <laughs> since you're asking. It's because God's in charge of this church. And I love you, but there's many times where I say, Lord, they're yours. You're in charge. You're in charge. You've given me a job to do, and I'll do my best. You've given Mal a job to do, he'll do his best. You've given each of us, no matter what your ministry call is, God's given you a job to do, God's given you a job to do, God's given, but ultimately we say, Lord, I'm going to be faithful that I can to my role, but ultimately I know this, you're in charge. You're in charge. You're in charge of my family. You're in charge of my bank account. You're in charge of my health. You're in charge of my kids and my grandkids. You're in charge of my church. You're in charge of my business. You are in charge. You are on the throne and that has not changed. The messenger that came to show us exactly what God is like so that we would want to draw near to this God has then made it possible as a priest for us to draw near to God and to submit to his lordship because not only does this minister want what is best for you, he also knows what's best for you. He's smarter than you. He's wiser than you. And so the best thing you can do is to submit to his lordship. Chapter 8 of this letter, and you'll appreciate this, this is where I, I get a, a preaching hint from. In chapter 8, after explaining this whole high priest thing, he says this in chapter 8, verse 1. He says, now, the main point of what we're saying is this. What's the point? The main point of what I'm saying is this. We've got such a high priest who not only was a high priest, after performing his duty, he sat down at the right hand of the throne. We have such a high priest who is also our king. We have a high priest who is also the son of the great king. And this is a beautiful thing, and it's a bit of, a bit of an Old Testament thing. Remember I said before that prophet, priest, and king are like the three big offices of ministry? Well, as you read through the Old Testament, nobody, I don't think, overtly holds each of those three ministries. So you've got someone like David, okay, he was pretty good. He was a king, and he was also a prophet, but he wasn't a priest. In fact, King Saul learned this lesson really importantly. King Saul one day did the job of the priest, and God said, 
that's it, mate, you're done. You've stepped out of your lane, boy. You stepped out of your lane. You are not prophet, priest, and king. You might be king and you might be prophetic, but you ain't priest. That's someone else's job. Ezekiel, I've just read Ezekiel recently from my Bible reading plan. Ezekiel was a prophet and he was a priest, but he wasn't king. Melchizedek, in the first part of the Bible in Genesis, he comes along and he is king and he is priest. But it doesn't say he's a prophet. Jesus comes and embraces the trifecta. Jesus gets the hat trick on this one, okay? He comes as the great prophet prophesied by Moses. He comes as the great high priest, ultimately greater than even Melchizedek himself. And he comes as the king of kings. Jesus is a faithful ruler. And you can trust him. You can trust submitting to his leadership because no matter how much you've been injured, disappointed, hurt or disillusioned with leaders in the past, political, family, business, religious, Jesus is the perfectly faithful leader. We've all been disappointed, possibly, by those who claim to represent God but haven't done the greatest of jobs. We've all been disappointed by those who are supposed to bring us to God and bless us with God and haven't done the greatest of job. We've all been disappointed potentially by those who are called to lead and haven't done the greatest of job. Well, today I want to tell you Jesus is the perfectly faithful one in each of those areas. And this is profound that he would say this to this Hebrew community because this is a community, as you read the letter, that are going, undergoing significant persecution by those in leadership. Political leaders are persecuting them. Family leaders are persecuting them and abandoning them. Religious leaders are persecuting them and hurting them and harming them. And yet he has the audacity to say, remember your leaders, remember their faith, and remember Jesus Christ, because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Remember, my friends, Jesus is in charge. Caesar is not in charge. Talking with friends in Melbourne this week. Dan is not in charge. Jesus is in charge of my life. The Pharisees are not in charge. The politicians are not in charge. My health is not in charge. My bank account is not in charge. Jesus is king. The king of all kings. The great governor. And I gladly submit to him who is totally, perfectly faithful as a leader. The good shepherd that lays down his life for his sheep, the faithful son that is about his father's business and calls us to partner with him in that role. And I want to encourage you today, if you've never asked Jesus, invited Jesus to lead you personally. I said before, I read the scriptures, listen, finish with this. Mal, why don't you finish me off? Moses said, God is the rock and is faithful. Then David said, He is my rock, my God, faithful to me. There's a transition there, folks, of acknowledging the God who doesn't change, but acknowledging that that God has something to speak about me and my life. Now, I don't know everyone here today, and I don't know everyone listening to this audio, and I don't know everyone watching down the camera at home. But I'm sure that there must be people who've never acknowledged Jesus as their King and as their Lord, Master, Boss, 
you demand. What you say goes. You've never acknowledged Jesus as the one who can reconcile you to the Father, who can give you a right-standing relationship with a holy God that you could never earn on your own. Because as good as a person you are, in comparison with God's goodness, you don't quite measure up, I'm afraid. But Jesus does perfectly. And he gifts us. He puts out an invitation to say, I want to gift you a right-standing relationship with God. You've just got to accept it and say, I accept that gift. No one comes to the Holy Father, Jesus said, unless they come through me because I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And that's a bit exclusive, but the one who speaks truth has the right to be exclusive. That's his prerogative. Accept Jesus as your priest today. That might be funny language for us. Accept Jesus as the one who brings you into relationship with the Holy God. And the reason I know that you can trust him, the reason I trust him, and the reason that many of you here in this room trust him, trust him as Lord, trust him as Savior, is because we've seen what he's like. He's not inviting us into a relationship with a God who is untrustworthy. He has demonstrated through his miracles, he's demonstrated through his word, and he's demonstrated through the working of his life in us today. Many of us here in this room that walk with him in an authentic way, he demonstrates to us the nature of a really, really awesome God who is worth submitting to and who is worth coming to in humility. Now, I want to encourage you, look at Jesus today. Not as only the apostle, the messenger of God, but as a messenger that came to speak to you. As the priest that it came for you as the Lord who is Lord over your life. If you've never done that today, you're watching at home, you're hearing this recording. Jesus is the great hero of heroes because he is perfectly faithful in these areas. And he said that all who would come to him would be granted eternal life. And that is a great gift that is only guaranteed in Christ Jesus. I implore you today, as one who is called to a small degree to represent God today, as one who is called in a small degree to stand up with the authority of my dad, I now want to appeal to you to be reconciled to God, not through Chad, but through Jesus, who has paid the penalty to wipe away any error in your life and to make a free way for you to come to know God in unhindered reality. That is something that many of us here today enjoy. And I'd love to invite you into that relationship today because he is perfectly faithful. I don't know you all here today, but I'd love to pray with you if you've never responded to Jesus before and accepted him. Put your faith and confidence in him. As Jake said before, set your eyes on him and your focus on him. If you'd like to do that today and to start a journey walking with God in a genuine, unhindered way, can you just let me know? Just show me your hand just where you are because I don't know. I just don't know who's here today. Who's never done that and would like to start walking with Jesus today? Anyone on this side? It's what many of us do every day. Many of us have done. We've had a moment like this where I've said, yeah, I want today to be the day I start. I'll take advantage of that. The camera's on me. It's not on you, okay? So don't worry about that. I can see is there anyone here who wants to start a relationship with God today? Give me a wave. 
to one of, this, one of these. If that's you today, whatever reason you don't have confidence to put up your hand, come and see me later. Maybe see the tall guy who was on the mic earlier. Come and see us today. Of those of you watching from home, or those of you listening to this recording, I want you to embrace what I call the ABCs of beginning a walk with God. A is just to acknowledge Him. God, you are real. I acknowledge you today. I'm no, no longer ignoring you. I acknowledge your reality. We believe, I believe you exist. I believe that you are. And I acknowledge you today. B, today I believe in Jesus. I believe He promised eternal life. And I believe that He is faithful in that promise. I believe that He is the one able to lead me and save me. And I believe Him today. I trust Him, not my own ability to be able to come into a relationship with God. And C, A, acknowledge. B, believe. C, I cooperate with you today. Tell me what to do next. Tell me what to do next. Well, one of the best things to do next is to confess out of your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart and then confess with your mouth, Jesus is my Lord. Not just the Lord, but my Lord. If you want to do that today at home, I'll leave that with you. The A, B, and C, and begin your walk with God today. For the rest of us, why don't we just revel in his faithfulness today are you glad that he's faithful are you glad that he's the perfectly faithful one why don't you stand you've been sitting for so long well done and let's just allow our hearts let him the great messenger master and minister minister his life to us today as we sing of his faithfulness come on where you are do you want to just thank him just thank him you want to lift your hands put your hand on your heart whatever it is why don't you just thank him today for being faithful? Come on. Come on. Faithful you will be.
I hope you've enjoyed today's message. Remember to check us out at baysidechurch.org.au. And of course, if you're ever in the area, please pop in and say good day.